Hey everybody, welcome back to This Week in Finance, a podcast hosted by Financial Friends. I am Brendan, and we are going to talk about everything that has went on this week in finance, or at least the things that I have found notable. There's going to be a ton of information discussed in this video. We're talking about Google, we're talking about Disney, we're talking a little bit about some of Jim Cramer's picks, some things about salads, Amazon. Um, there's going to be a whole lot discussed in this video. I have my iPad to the side of me ready to go. I have my water, of course. And we also have this sponsor of This Week in Finance, or this episode of This Week in Finance, Zencaster. So, Zencaster is an all-in-one podcast tool that allows you to record podcasts, have guests join um, all in one place. You can record video, etc. But we're going to talk a little bit more um, on that later. So make sure you go ahead and stay tuned for that. Let's go ahead and get into this week in finance. The first story we have is that the Block CFO customers, or the Block CFO rather, says that customers always repay their buy now, pay later loans, that 98% of the consumer installments were repaid by the end of the year, um, which is really good for BlockFi. It means that when they are, I'm sorry, not BlockFi, Block, that whole square block thing has got me really messed up with BlockFi. Anyway, it's really good for Block. Um, and the reason for that is because they are getting the money that they have lent to people for that short period of time, um, and they're getting it back. So they went ahead and acquired Afterpay, which is a buy now, pay later system, um, and they are getting this, these, these money, you know, this money paid back. Um, I'm not personally so sure on this whole rebrand that has been done. Obviously, Square goes ahead, turns into Block. They keep the same ticker symbol SQ. They obviously still run all the Square platform and the whole, you know, interface for. You know, small businesses, etc. Um, but the rebrand with Block is kind of more focused on uh, putting cryptocurrency up at the forefront, I think. Um, and I'm not sure if Square is an afterthought now or if Square and Cash App is the center of all of this and Block's going to be this big holding thing and it's going to kind of oversee everything. I don't really know how all this is shaping up. Um, I know that the Square business and that Cash App seems to be strong. Obviously, they have some type of leverage now with Afterpay, hopefully being able to integrate that directly into the Square POS systems, allowing customers to maybe just select buy now, pay later right at a Square system. I think that would be fantastic for them going forward, but I'm not necessarily sure how these buy now, pay later type of services play into profits, play into them making money. Um, if you're extending, say, $200 to someone and they're making the four payments back and it's said and done in like two months, then what exactly are you benefiting? Maybe I'm ignorant and maybe I just don't know. So if you know, go ahead, drop a comment, say how this is going to help them develop their business. But I don't necessarily see how it is going to benefit them moving forward. However, 98% of those were repaid. Some good news there. Uh, Block was up on some good earnings this seemed to happen a while ago. Uh, things move fast nowadays, but that is really it on that. Not too much to say. Another touch point here, touching on Jim Cramer. Uh, he says that of all of the different stocks that you could run to, Procter & Gamble is the safest of all the safety stocks. And this is because Procter & Gamble has earned the right to have pricing power. Pricing power is basically where you can tell consumers, all right, prices went up 5% and that's what it is. Procter & Gamble has earned the trust of consumers through products 
and good quality products at that and consumers are willing to pay for them. They're willing to take the three to 5% increase in price and just pay that and it has benefited Procter & Gamble because they have that good pricing power with both con the trust from consumers but just the broader market in general. They're able to raise prices and those prices are sticking. Um, obviously Jim Cramer talked about it so more than likely stock's gonna probably uh, tank the next little bit, that pretty much seems to be um, what happens with them. I like Procter & Gamble. I've broken the company down a few different times. They have a ton of big brands in the consumer space. Um, and that's really all I have on that. Let's just cross our fingers and hope that the stock doesn't just plummet because he decided to talk about it. This has been one I've considered adding to the dividend journey. I haven't quite pulled the trigger on it yet but it's something I'm looking at potentially for the future. I have, I feel like I have a bit of exposure into that kind of consumer discretionary, consumer staple area. Um, I really like that sector personally. All right, this is one I'm just really confused on. Sweetgreen, the stock soared after it posted pretty good sales growth um, in its first quarter since its IPO, but they did report that they were going to be expecting losses and they were gonna be expecting big losses moving forward. Um, the chain reported a fourth quarter net loss of $66.2 million compared to just a $41.4 million loss earlier. I'm not really sure. I know they're trying to grow. I know they're trying to grow, but you are a salad company. You make salads. Why are you losing so much money? And this is not even from a business standpoint or like a stock or investor standpoint. As like just a human being, I'm kind of baffled by and confused as to why a business that makes salads is losing $41 million at a time or $66.2 million in a quarter. And they're expecting more losses. It's expecting adjusted losses before interest taxes and depreciation and amortization of 18 to 20 million dollars in Q2. What? Like I'm again, comment down below. This is really an interactive thing. Um, if you're watching on Spotify or iTunes or listening rather, come join us on YouTube. Go ahead and drop a comment on YouTube. Why is Sweetgreen doing this? I feel like they're operating like a tech company and looking for that growth like they're a tech company, but you make salads. If you're a fan of this company, a fan of the restaurant, let me know what the experience is like and why these type of losses are going to be beneficial for them, I would really love to know because I genuinely am kind of confused how losing 18 to $20 million in the next quarter is really going to benefit a salad company. Let me know down below. I know that people like this environmentally friendly and you know local grown type of um, restaurant. I know that people are moving a little bit healthier but you make salads, why are you losing $20 million in a quarter? Let me know down below. I'm pretty baffled. On the other side of the coin, something that is looking a bit more positive for a company, Disney Plus is now going to be introducing a cheaper ad-supported plan. I love this. I love this for, oh, there goes an alarm. I love this for the business. I think that as different streaming services 
navigate this space, they need to make sure that they're providing flexible payment opportunities for people because the first thing that users are going to cut out of their life when they need to save you know, an extra dollar or two is going to be streaming services. It's very easy to cancel a $10 to $15 a month plan and just mentally tell yourself, I've saved, you know, over the course of 10 months for easy math, $150 this year. Fantastic. That pays this or that pays that. Or, hey, I have seven different streaming services. Let's cut four of them, keep the essentials and save the difference. It's very easy for people to do that, just as it's easy for people to stop using DoorDash or Uber Eats or Grubhub. It's very easy. So adding a cheaper version, a a version of this platform that is a little bit more justifiable in rough times, I think currently the price for Disney Plus is, yes, $8 a month. So let's say that the price becomes $5 or $4 a month for this ad-supported version. Not only are they going to increase their consumer or customer exposure, hoping to get to that, I think it was 230 to 260 million subscribers by the end of 2022, but you're going to get people who are going to drop down a level and pay this, but they're going to be more long-term focused customers. That's beneficial for your business. You'd rather people stick around than cancel, resubscribe, uncancel this, that one, the other, right? You know, stick with the platform, give us that consistent revenue. And on top of that, they're going to be able to advertise for different businesses. A lot of businesses are going to want to be in front of Disney Plus subscribers and Disney fans. It's going to be beneficial for them. So they're going to generate ad revenue and they're also going to generate, you know, customer revenue for paying for the service. And I think that that's fantastic. Helps diversify this a little bit, helps open it up to more people. Hopefully you could start to see that growth that we want to see. And then they can also utilize these ad slots for promotions for new movies and, you know, um, reasons that will give customers to stay like, oh, we're going to you know, release this exclusive on Disney Plus, so make sure you stick around or, hey, we're going to release this in box offices, so go see it. And hopefully that can drum up you know, some extra internal business for them as well moving forward. I think this is a fantastic plan, just like I think that Zencaster is an absolutely fantastic service that you should definitely consider. I want to thank them again for being the sponsor of this week's episode and kind of talk about that all-in-one experience. So um, you can send your guest very, very easily to shoot them a link, email, text message, whatever it is. They click on that link. They join into your uh, Zoom-ish style call, but it's not. It's Zencaster. You can go ahead, record both of your cameras, both of your audio files, all linked separately for you so you can mix and match and re-download and um, you know, edit however you prefer to. There's also some in-house settings that you can use live. You can go ahead and mute your mic. Utilize some different features in there. There's a chat feature if you have, you know, a couple different people in there. You're trying to send them a message kind of discreetly. It's fantastic. So um, if you'd like to try Zencaster for yourself, go ahead and hit that link down below in the show notes or in the description if you're on YouTube. Uh, It's going to be 30% off your first three months. I highly recommend at least go ahead, try it out, use that link, get 30% off for your first three months. And if you like it, stick around. I think you're going to like it. I think it's going to be beneficial for you. We're going to touch on it again one more time towards the end of the episode. So stick around for that. Big story out of Google Google is going to acquire the cybersecurity firm Mandiant for $5.4 billion. This is going to be a pretty big acquisition for Google. They're going to look to take Mandiant and kind of throw them into the Google Cloud division, right, of the business. I think that this is 
perfect for Google. I think obviously the times that we're in now, um, a lot of cybersecurity threats, a lot of security breaches, things going down, things being hacked. We, we don't want to see that. Nobody wants to see that. And Google clearly does not want that to be happening either. They are kind of losing the battle to um, Microsoft's Azure and AWS at the moment. So this is going to hopefully bolster their lineup a little bit, allow them to become a bit more competitive in the space and hopefully attract some new users. I think this is going to be one of the biggest deals for Google. Let's see here. It will be Google's second biggest deal behind the Motorola mobility deal in 2012. Um, So a pretty large deal for Google. They're going to acquire them for $23 per share. I'm not 100% sure if this has officially went through yet. Um, It's in talks. It obviously has to go through some antitrust things which is happening a lot with different companies, specifically one that we're going to be touching on uh, towards the end of the episode. So Google, I think this looks up for them. I think this is positive. Obviously, fresh off that 20 to 1 stock split, or was it 30 to 1? I don't even remember. Time flies. Um, But an acquisition from Google bolstering their Google Cloud lineup. Inflation. We all know it. We all don't like it. And we all don't want to see it continue to happen, but it is happening. And it is happening at a rate of about 8% year over year. This is the highest in 40 years. And I want to touch a little bit on some talks that I've seen on Twitter. Um, And I don't want to get super personal with this, but I do want to address the fact that rising gas prices do affect people. There's been this argument and this thing going around, and this is not political whatsoever, but people saying, oh, I never checked the price of the pump. You got to get it anyway. And I think that's the problem. As someone who exists in this personal finance space, not everything is roses and butterflies and dandelions and rainbows for everybody who deals with, you know, personal finance issues. A lot of times people are not making the money they're supposed to be making. I know for a fact that Americans are not seeing 8% raises left and right as inflation continues to happen. The people who are being affected by this most are not seeing those price or those wage increases. There are people further up the pay scale who are seeing them. Um, But the people who need it most, the people further down that pay scale are not seeing random 8% pay bumps. In specific, people who work at McDonald's and other companies like that, they're not seeing it. And so when prices and the cost of living continues to rise, that's why we see stats like this. 64% of Americans are now living paycheck to paycheck. That is not a good stat. And some of this could be curbed by overspending and spending in the wrong area and not investing and not taking the time to manage personal finances. But when inflation is 8%, the value of your dollar is decreasing. You're not seeing a pay increase. The prices at the pump are going up and you need that gas to get to and from your job. And it becomes more expensive just to be able to work. That is not a recipe that's good. For any Americans, especially when the trucks that bring us our food to our grocery stores are becoming more expensive to fuel. And from then on, our prices on those goods rise. We essentially get pay decreases. And if we're not seeing pay increases on the other end, which we can't just continue to run up everything, it'll just run away from us. Um, It's not a fantastic mix. Inflation is also relatively self-fulfilling. And this is happening right now with the, you know, the gas crisis that we're experiencing here. I mean, let me pull that statement back. It's not a crisis, but the absolute just, I mean, it's just running up, right? Prices are just running up across the board, especially with gas here in the United States of America. Um, and, and with those sort of runaway numbers, this is what happens. 
You're sitting at home. You're going, ah, you know, gas prices, they're going up. Oh, let me go fill the car up. Well, I don't want to pay, say, $5 next week, so let me just go fill the other car up. Increase that demand, same amount of supply, prices are going to rise. So it kind of reaches this point of self fulfilling, you know, self-prophecy, right? Where it continues to go up because Americans and other people continue to panic, right? And go and purchase more, you know, gasoline, rising the price up until a point where we just cannot continue to do that anymore. Joe Biden did say that he will be banning Russian oil imports in response to Putin's invasion. This is needed. Again, my heart goes out to everybody in Russia who is in danger and does not want this to be happening, and everybody in Ukraine who is being affected by this. My heart goes out to you, your families, and anyone affected. This is the right move. Putin is getting cash, right? His his country is ran on import or on rather exports of gasoline and, and fuel and all of that type of grimy petro-y stuff, right? So we don't want to keep purchasing that from him. So we banned imports. But this is going to make prices on our end go up. This is in conjunction with many of the businesses that are continuing to pull from Russia, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, McDonald's, and Starbucks among those businesses finally making the call to remove some of or all of their business from Russia. I think this is a good move. Obviously, some people are saying that it's not going to affect the Russian economy as much as these sanctions the United States and other surrounding countries are placing on Russia, which again, this is a good thing to kind of tighten and squeeze Putin down so he no longer has capital and cash flow coming into his country to expend, to continue to do terrible, terrible, terrible things to Ukraine. However, some of these businesses are making strategic moves out of the country because it is no longer profitable for them. A, you don't want to be in a country and help fund war. You don't want to be in a country where you are going to lose money. And you don't want to be in a country where your capital and your business is not valued and other things can continue to happen surrounding your business that are not positive. So you're going to remove yourself. Some businesses have really not been making too much money in Russia. It's not necessarily the economy that the United States and Canada um, and other EU kind of countries are. And so they pulled support. This list here outlines 300 companies that have withdrawn from Russia. Obviously, some remain. You see a lot of big ones here just to kind of run through. Apple, Bentley, Bumble, Canada Goose, Dell, eBay, EA, Ferrari, FedEx, um, I could probably read all of these to you. It's not necessarily going to be a great use of my time. Uh, Pepsi, and we just found out, obviously, Coca-Cola, McDonald's, Papa John's, Samsung, Snapchat, TJ Maxx, list goes on and on. However, there are some companies that have yet to do this for whatever reason. Um, notable ones, Burger King did just go ahead and remove today. But you have Abbott Labs, AbbVie, amongst some of the bigger ones. Marriott as well. So we still do have some companies kind of operating in Russia. Whether or not this is going to really tighten that squeeze on Russia, I'm not super sure. However, uh, to be in an area that's not profitable for your business and is helping support in some way, shape, or form what is going on there is not fantastic. I did hear that McDonald's, when they did make that pull, they were going to be paying customers, sorry, paying employees. Um, for their time. Obviously, some citizens of Russia 
not necessarily wanting or not even understanding what completely is going on because of some of the things that are being told to those citizens. Uh, and Tesla did also say that anyone who works for Tesla and is Ukrainian and is going to get called to their military to help defend their country will be paid for three months as well. A good gesture from Tesla. Moving forward, a big announcement from Apple, a bunch of new products being released. I think that this was a fantastic release. Obviously, they go ahead and they do their little revamp of a new color of an iPhone's coming out. Oh, yay, it's green. Okay, cool. But they did announce a few different or rather updates of products and a new product. They did go ahead and release a budget version of the iPhone. This is perfect. This is perfect. At a time like this, inflation's running away from people. Not everybody has the funds to make, you know, basically $1,000 purchases of iPhones. And so a budget version of an iPhone is fantastic. It gets a new chip. It gets a revamp. It gets some new features. It comes in that iPhone 8 style body with the thumbprint, you know, a home button and finger scanner. Perfect. I think that price is, let's see if it's in here because I already forgot the price off the top of my head. I want to say it is $429. A pretty perfect price point for a phone like that. Pretty competitive price point at that. They also released a new iPad Air. It does go ahead and get a little bit of a revamp um, with some newer features, a new chip inside of it as well, making it pretty, pretty fast, faster than some uh, laptops, which is fantastic for the iPad Air lineup. I'm not too sure. I have it right here, the, the iPad Pro. I'm not super sure what they're going to be able to do to this or what really the next step is for the iPad Pro. They hit the nail on the head pretty hard when they released it, and I think that they're kind of going to ride that out as long as they possibly can, and they're continuing to bolster that back really three-fourths of the lineup, the iPad Mini, the normal iPad, and then the iPad Air as well. What I am pretty excited for um, is the new Mac Studio with their brand new chip, the M1 Ultra, which is essentially two of these M1 Max chips that they have developed, their proprietary chip, put together, which is interesting. They obviously throw around a bunch of numbers, make numbers that look really good, use percentages and multipliers that show how much better this new chip and new uh, Mac Studio computer are than previous iterations. Those numbers can be a little bit deceiving at points. However, it is a faster computer, a little bit more energy efficient computer. There's a big focus on environment with all of these products, which I think moving forward for Apple is going to be fantastic. I'm also very interested to see how this M1 chip and how Apple chips moving forward can kind of throw Apple into that chip space. Obviously, we have companies like AMD and NVIDIA developing these chips for computers. This is not my sweet spot or my circle of competence. However, I wonder if Apple will ever sell their chips to other companies, similar to the way that Intel does or Nvidia does. These companies will sell their chips, you know, to other consumers or to other, I'm sorry, businesses, little business to business. Um, I'm curious. I'm curious to see if they ever step foot in that. It seems like these chips are becoming a larger and larger part of what Apple is doing. And I'm curious to see if they ever try to push outside of that or if they're really just developing for their own proprietary devices, their own proprietary software, and just looking to, because they're so big, separate themselves from any type of supply constraint and just insulate them in their own world where they can continue to operate uh, separate from whatever is going on in the world, the country, the supply chain, or in other businesses. 
I'm very, very curious. I'm also a little curious how the Mac Studio is going to perform out there in the real world. They really pushed how the Mac Studio is for studios and you know high use users, people that need a lot of different screens and access to physical plugins, music producers, YouTube people, they didn't explicitly say YouTube, but come on, scientists as well, artists. They were really pushing the computer towards these types of people and I'm not sure why. Maybe they know that they have a very large part of their consumer base kind of sitting within that sweet spot. I think that I like it either way. I'm not sure that super targeted approaches at specific people is the best move for a company that has such a broad scale. I mean, they could have released this computer and called it anything. And maybe some people who aren't creators wouldn't have felt ostracized from this. And I don't say ostracized in a bad way. I say it more or less that me, someone who just makes YouTube videos online, could I benefit from this insanely fast and productive and efficient computer? Probably. Am I going to spend that much on it? No. However, I might not get it because I might not feel like I fit the description of the optimal customer they're advertising for. And so I'm curious to see if that has any effect on sales. Personally, don't believe it will. Apple sells everything that they create. Uh, if you, If it even looks right to anybody, it, it's gone. People just buy it. I mean, they're selling a $30 micro cloth and $400 wheel accessory for their Mac Pro tower. Like they're going to sell everything they create, but I'm curious to see how it does compared to other Macs within the lineup. A clothing company, big announcement. Lululemon launches women's footwear and looks to gain a Nike, Adidas, Under Armour, and other big brands. I love Lululemon personally. I'm a big fan of theirs. I wear their clothing. I think what their brand kind of is and stands for is pretty good. And they make high quality clothing that lasts. I have had all of my Lululemon pieces for as long as can be. And I've even sold some of them recently for about half the price I paid for them three to four years ago. So they hold value as a clothing item pretty well. And they last and they're good. They are releasing two different types of women's cross training shoes priced at 138 and 148. You can kind of see them uh, here in this image if you're watching on YouTube. I think this is going to be a positive thing for Lululemon, expanding their brand, expanding what they offer moving forward is the next step for them. They've mastered that clothing area. They've kind of mastered the accessory area. They tried to step into the workout area with Mir. I haven't really been keeping up on how that's been doing, but I think this type of addition to their lineup is just what they needed. They are going to be looking to expand to men's lineups sometime early next year, and limited edition women's footwear will be following that or shortly. So look out for Lululemon. I think they're going to continue to gain market share as they continue to pick up new people who, just like Apple, become super loyal to the brand. Alrighty, so we do have Mr. Joe Biden, the president, announcing an executive order on cryptocurrencies. Bitcoin loved this. Ethereum also liked it as well. However, those gains have been pulled back since. That's besides the point. It does look like this bill, or this executive order rather, is going to be a little bit more focused on exploration, Okay. Joe Biden does mention within the executive order that the utmost importance is consumer protection, financial stability, illicit activity, U.S. competitiveness, 
financial inclusion, and responsible innovation. Some of the key points there, in my personal opinion, are going to be this responsible innovation, looking and wanting companies to create products that are innovative for citizens of the United States. U.S. competitiveness. We see that China has banned cryptocurrencies. We see other places are not so welcoming of them. We want to be competitive. We want to be the leader in this space. That is going to be fantastic. Financial inclusion is something that's important. This type of technology opens things up to a ton of different people and allows transactions to happen quickly and across borders. That's interesting. With that comes this illicit activity, but wanting people to have access is important. Allowing people to have access is important. Our banking system at the moment is relatively slow comparably to the things that we could be using. However, this, like I said, this does allow for a little bit more illicit or negative activity. This is going to be very interesting. I did hear from um, a few other people that this is more of an exploratory thing. We're not necessarily looking to make moves on this as a country, but I personally believe that more regulation, more exploration of cryptocurrency moving forward is good because it gives trust to big institutions and it also allows people, everyday people who don't normally have exposure to Bitcoin, Ethereum, or other major coins uh, to kind of learn about it as it comes more to the public eye. Joe Biden also mentioned the exploration of a digital dollar. This is inevitable. I think that this is inevitable. I think over the long term, cash is still going to play a role in our society. And by cash, I mean physical cash. But as a 20-year-old, and I know a lot of other 20, 19, and 21-ish year olds, we don't use cash. We do not. We simply do not have cash. I will be honest with you. I have one $20 bill tucked into my little card sleeve of a wallet that I did have another video on. I'll show you. It's going to be somewhere up there. That's it. I have $20 in cash. Now, could that be a problem at some point? Potentially. Could that also never run into any issues and I just spend on my credit cards and pay those bills off with the money that is direct deposited in my bank? Yes. It would make no difference to me if we shifted to a digital dollar today. And I think that is the same for a ton of people in this country. Before I get to the last story, I do want to mention and remind you that in the show notes, you can get 30% off of Zencaster for the first three months. Go ahead, type in Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R.com. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R.com to check it out or use the personalized link in the description below, or you can use zen.ai forward slash this week in finance zero. Go ahead Type it in, search it up, explore around. I highly recommend Zencaster. Like I said, it's a fantastic tool to help streamline your podcast experience and podcast creation. Check it out with the link in the description. And thank you, Zencaster, for sponsoring this week in finance. Moving on to the next episode. Next story Amazon in the news again announces a 20 to 1 stock split and a $10 billion buyback. In my personal opinion, this $10 billion buyback is way more important than the 20 to 1 stock split. However, Amazon did mention... Sorry, I'm having trouble. Oh, Siri wants to talk to me. I've been, in, I've been interrupted a few times by Apple products today. Amazon did mention that for some of their higher-ups and people who are within the company accumulating stock, my guess is those people can only sell in whole shares. And so by dropping that price back a little bit lower to a more reasonable level within that three-digit range instead of uh, being upwards of $3,000, 
this is a little bit better for them so they don't have to sell if they do decide to sell off some of their shares at uh, $3,000 and instead they can pick and choose a little bit more flexibly where they would like to sell off some of their position. This also increases reach for people who are buying on platforms that only allow whole shares. I think it's TD Ameritrade does only allow full share purchases, in which case this will open up Amazon to all of their you know, users who are not looking to purchase a $3,000 stock. However, most platforms like public, link below, go ahead, try and check that out too. There's a free stock down there. Um, like public, like Fidelity, like Webull, like Robinhood, like a majority of the apps out there, you can purchase and sell fractional shares of companies. This means that it doesn't really affect people who buy, sell, and trade on those platforms because it doesn't actually change anything. I know this drives a lot of excitement in the community um, and with the stock price, but it doesn't really do anything. It just changes what the price is when you go to purchase it. The $10 billion buyback, on the other hand, is way more important. This means they're going to take $10 billion worth of shares off the table. So if you own one share, the value of that share or the percentage of the company you own goes up as all the other ones get taken off the table. Basically, if there was 100 chips on a table and you had one, you have 1% of the chips. If you still have 1% or one chip and they take 50 off and there's 50 left and you have one, you have 2%. That's kind of how the buyback works. And so the buyback will be much more beneficial to shareholders than the stock split will. But people who already own the stock or are looking to purchase more and they can only do so in full shares, the stock split does benefit them as well. So that was a lot of talking. That was a lot of things that have went on this week in finance. I hope that you enjoyed this video. hope you enjoyed my commentary, my little opinions interjected in there, as well as just the mass overview of everything that's went on this week in finance. I hope that you'll join me next week and consider subscribing to the YouTube channel. I also post videos on Tuesday and Thursday. There's a video that just went out a few days ago and a few days prior to that. And there'll be a few videos that go out a few days after this and a few days after that. So make sure that you stick around, hit the bell so you're notified for all of those videos. And like I said, I hope that you enjoyed this episode. Hope you learned something new and I will see you all in the next one. Take care.